I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Happy Monday and welcome to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast, aka the Build Your Dream Life podcast, where each week we discuss waking up to who we truly are, finding our purpose, and the importance of building your dream life. I am so excited for this episode today with Phil Cohen. Phil has an inspiring and remarkable story. Phil's an award-winning keynote and TEDx speaker and the author of The Grief Continuum, a framework that empowers people struggling with grief. For over 25 years, Phil has helped global tech startups grow and prosper through developing their sales teams. After the sudden loss of his 14-year-old son, Perry, he has found his true purpose in empowering others to overcome despair. Phil's grief continuum framework guides others through unique and practical strategies paired with compassionate coaching that helps them rediscover their inner resilience and live a life they never imagined possible. Phil's insights have been featured in TEDx, The Wall Street Journal, Authority Magazine, and many more. In this episode today, we really dive into how you can rediscover your inner resilience and live a life you never imagined possible, no matter what circumstances are thrown your way. So with that, enjoy this episode. Phil Cohen, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me, Dan. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on and share your story. I listened to, and I'm sure you get a ton of inquiries or people reaching out to you, but I found you through your TEDx talk. I think I saw it had like over 80,000, almost 80,000 downloads now or listens. And yeah, yeah, it was it was an amazing talk titled When I Lost My Only Child. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to it. You know, I'll tell you, doing the TEDx was a great experience, just not only for myself, but you know, it's reached so many people and just being having the opportunity to be on these podcasts and share my story is just I'm super thankful for that opportunity. When did you give the TED Talk? The TED Talk I gave in December 11th, and now it's been out live for about two months. Got it. I'm curious, what's the experience been like from when you, uh, one, I guess, preparing for the talk and then giving the talk to the result now? It's a lot more work than you might think. You know, number one, trying to get a talk that's organized. And the TEDx people, they basically will tell you as you go through the application process, and I went through several. It took me maybe like 30 applications, which is even far below the norm to actually get a TEDx talk. But essentially what I learned by going through the interview and application process was, and nobody said it to me like this, but the message I got was, number one, Phil, we're not looking for a motivational speaker. Number two, we understand that you have a crazy story and we appreciate that you have a crazy story, but we're not interested in a crazy story. What we want to know is what are you going to teach our audience? What are they going to walk away with? So They want to make sure that you, number one, you have a solid idea, that it's really one idea, maybe two, you know, because a lot of people that want to do a TEDx are mission-driven messengers like you and I, right? Like we're doing these podcasts and we have a lot of things that we want to say, you know, like a lot of bits of gold, right? That we want to share. 
And so you can't put them all in a TED Talk. A TED Talk is really about, about one or two, maybe at the most. And if it is two, they should be closely related. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to jump into your story just so my listeners who haven't tuned into the TED Talk know exactly what we're talking about. So maybe we could we could jump into that. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, the moment around the TED Talk uh, occurred on July 24th, 2015, when my only child, my 14-year-old son, Perry, and his close friend were last seen leaving the Jupiter Inlet. The Jupiter Inlet is out of South Florida, Jupiter, Florida, leads directly into the Atlantic Ocean. They were last seen leaving that inlet on a 19-foot fishing boat. And in South Florida, there are really bad storms that come out of nowhere. You know, they'll just whip up and you know, it'll be a beautiful day one minute. And then, you know, the next minute, it's this crazy storm. And then it, five minutes later, it's beautiful again. And that happens all the time. And it's really around that time of year as well. So one of these storms came out of nowhere, carrying heavy rains and winds of 40 miles an hour. After several attempts to reach the boys unsuccessfully, the Coast Guard was notified and if not the most extensive search in the history of the United States Coast Guard ensued, neither of the boys were ever found. And exactly what happened at sea that day still remains unclear. Although I believe I know what happened based on all the reports from the Navy, the FBI, the FWCC, the U.S. Coast Guard, uh, you know, I was able to put together most of the pieces. But you know, I still don't know for sure exactly what happened. That was the the essence of the moment that led to my TED talk. And then, you know, part of it was that, you know, I've always considered myself so blessed that I'd never really lost anybody before. My parents are still alive. All my siblings are still alive. And then suddenly I'd lost the most precious person in the world to me. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. You know, you don't, there's no playbook for something like this. There's no class or preparation that prepares you for, you know, the death of, of a loved one, especially somebody so close to you, like a child or a parent or you know, a spouse. So after spending a year and a half curled up in a ball in a dark room, you know, I had no idea. So I actually, I Googled how to grieve because I didn't, I didn't know if I was doing it right. You know, I didn't know mm. what to do. And essentially I found the, the five stages of grief. I think if you search anything around grief, you'll, you'll run into the five stages of grief. And for me, you know, if you're not familiar, if any of your listeners are not familiar with the five stages of grief, they suggest that uh, when you experience grief, you first go through denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression, then acceptance. And for me, it was, I almost felt a sense of pressure, like I was doing something wrong because I didn't experience grief in that way. You know, I had feelings of fear. I had feelings of revenge. I had feelings of guilt. And none of those are really covered in the five stages of grief. So I didn't know what I was doing wrong or where I was supposed to be. And I, it, was, it was funny because I didn't know this uh, until I researched it, but that the, the five stages was originally introduced in the late 60s, and it was actually developed for terminally ill cancer patients to process their own grief. And even though you know on movies and TV shows, you see people who've lost a loved one and they go through the five stages, but it was never, never intended for the bereaved. So you know, I found myself lost I didn't know and that. I wasn't sure what to do. Yeah. Just taking a step back, I guess, in the immediate, how did you navigate? Well, you know, initially it was an indescribable amount of pain. I didn't really leave my house. I couldn't go back to work. I was basically paralyzed, you know, and even when I did eventually, you know, maybe about six months later, may finally make it back to the office. I wasn't able to function. You know, I wasn't able to function. And I remember like the first or second day sitting in the office 
And I was sitting, literally sitting at my desk. Thankfully, I had my own office with a door. And I just peed in my pants. I didn't have the energy or the even desire to get up and go to the bathroom. Like I was just like, that's how out of it I was. I just peed directly right in my jeans. Then I had to text one of my friends like who was, who was working with me and said, hey, man, can you go to the store and get me a pair of jeans and some underwear so I can leave? But yeah, I had no idea what I was, you know, quote unquote, supposed to do. I really didn't know. I, and, and I did seek, you know, talk therapy at one point, even did EMDR therapy. And although those things are helpful, it didn't remove the pain and it didn't really give me any, you know, clear steps on what I should do. Mm, that makes sense. So it sounds like prior to all this, you really had a fairly happy life and didn't really, it sounds like you didn't experience any significant loss prior to this. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, just meet my grandfather who I really didn't know him that well. So that was my, my first and only experience with the loss of a loved one. You know, I could say I grieved, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even close to what it was like losing my son. So I, I, re- I had no real experience with grief prior to going into that moment. Yeah. So as you're navigating that journey, it sounds like, you know, you really didn't know how, how to navigate. You end up Googling how to grieve. Where do you go from there? Like I said, when I realized this is not the way that I'm grieving. You know, am I doing something wrong? It really gave me more pressure, felt a sense of pressure more than anything else. It wasn't really until about a year and a half later after the initial incident when, again, on the floor, curled up in a ball, missing my son. And, you know, when I think back, I wonder, did I really see him? Was it an apparition? Was that in my mind? But I can tell you, Dan, that I, I clearly heard my son's voice. And he said, get up, dad. It's okay. I'll see you when you get here. And my son, you know, that's exactly what he would say to me, you know, and my son's natural state was one of just laughter and fun. I would have him listen to podcasts with me when I drove him to school. And there was one in particular called Entrepreneurs on Fire with John Lee Dumas that we would listen to. And I, and I wanted him to listen to it because I wanted to hear him to hear these stories of these entrepreneurs that were just about to make it big. You really hadn't heard of them yet, but they were just on the brink of doing great things. And the host, John Lee Dumas, would ask questions like, you know, what kept you from becoming an entrepreneur? And it was always something around fear. You know, a lot of these people were told they needed to be a lawyer or their parents were doctors and they had to follow in their own step. And they finally decided to go their own route and follow their heart. And the lesson that I was trying to teach Perry was to do what you love, you know, and to just live life with passion. So when I heard him say, get up, dad, it was almost like he was like, like annoyed with me. He's like, all right, dad, listen, it's been a year and a half. You've been on the floor, curled up in a ball, for, you know, crying here, like enough already. Just get up, go live your life with passion and I'll see you when you get here. And in that moment changed, it was a pivotal, pivotal moment for me because what I learned from what that was that I really just needed to give myself permission to heal because I was feeling so many, you know, feelings of guilt and, 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 blaming myself and worthlessness and shame that I couldn't protect my own son. And sometimes, you know, our grief can really be part of how we choose to honor and respect the ones we love, despite their physical absence. So I realized that my son and, you know, to any one of your listeners who may have lost a loved one, you know, I bet that person would tell you to get up too. They don't want to see us in that state of complete despair. So in that moment, I just decided, I I made a conscious decision that I am, although it's very, very painful what happened, but I am not going to live there. 
You know, it's a choice to live there, to continue to think about the negative aspects and what could have happened and what should have happened. So really it became more than anything like a choice. And I, I started using post-it notes and I wrote on them, I give myself permission to heal. And I put them in my car and my refrigerator and my, my bathroom mirror. And I called those my permission slips. And they were just a reminder for me every day that it's okay for me to heal and that my son doesn't want to see me living like that. Wow, that's beautiful. With the permission slips, is that something that you just did by on your own? Did someone tell you about that? Is that something that you created? You know, they're just post-it notes, you know, <laughs> and I called them my permission. No, nobody told me about it. I just knew that it's so easy to fall back into that state of despair. And I didn't wanted something really in my face wherever I went to know that, number one, my son doesn't want me living in a state of despair. And number two, that it's okay for me to heal, you know, to give myself permission to heal. So yeah, no one told me about it or, you know, I'm not sure that I created it, so to speak, but it's just a tool, a tool that I, I've used and, and recommended that people, you know, in certain situations, try that too. Because like I said, I bet your loved one would, wouldn't want you living in that state of despair either. I like that technique with the permission slips, saying it versus writing it down and putting it on your wall or putting it on your desk or putting it in front of your face can really make an impactful difference in your life. No doubt. No doubt. And it's really a lot of the people that I've spoken to, I've spoken to so many people that have lost loved ones, you know, and they've just come up and approach me and ask me questions. And I'm not a psychologist. I don't have a master's degree in psychology, but I do have a PhD in experience, right? And, you know, many professionals would agree and even stated that the loss of a child could possibly be the most traumatic event that a human being can endure. And the amount of pain that I experienced is really indescribable. But, you know, we all need to take the time to grieve, and that will be different for all of us. But at some point, at some point, you got to choose, right? You got to do something. You have to get up. You know, you can't choose to live there. And all of us, no matter what, we're not making it out of this life unscathed. Mm. You know, you may not lose a child, but you're eventually going to you know, lose a parent, or you're going to lose a spouse, or you're going to lose a dream, or you're going to lose a job. You know, and so grief is going to find you at some point. And all of us experience storms, right? And but the only choice we have is how we respond to those storms. And you know, one of my mentors really helped me understand this by sharing a really cool story about where he grew up near the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And Colorado is one of the only places in the world where both buffaloes and cows can coexist. And there's a really great lesson to be learned by how each of these creatures responds to those storms. So when the storms come over the Rockies, they almost always brew from the west and roll towards the east. And both the animals can sense the storms coming. But what the cows do is they begin to run east, away from the storm. And the only problem is that if you know anything about cows, you know that they're not very fast. So the storm catches up to them rather quickly. And without knowing any better, the cows continue to try and outrun the storm. But instead of outrunning it, they run with it, ultimately maximizing the amount of time, pain, and frustration that they experience from that storm. And it's been my experience, Dan, that humans do the same thing. We do the same thing. We spend so much of our time trying to avoid the inevitable trials, tragedies, and transitions that come along with difficult circumstances. But what buffaloes do is completely different and quite unique to the animal kingdom. Buffaloes wait for the storm to cross over the crest of the mountaintop. And as the storm rolls over the ridge, 
they turn and charge directly into the storm. They run at the storm. Mm -hmm. And by running at the storm, they run right through it, minimizing the amount of pain, time, and frustration that they experience from the storm. But notice how it's the same storm. And I think this is just such an excellent metaphor for all of us, because although we're in different places in life, we all experience storms. Yeah, I love that. What would you say, you know, in your own experience, and obviously, you know, your life right away, immediately, you live through something tragic, everything changes. But what would you say you learned about yourself through grieving and through the loss of your son? Well, I mean, the first thing that's, that's a really good question um, that I learned about myself is that I guess, you know, that I'm a lot stronger than I realized I was, you know, to be able to not only, I don't want to say the word get through because grief doesn't end. Like you don't reach acceptance and then you're good. You know, <laughs> my TEDx was talking, the idea there is the grief continuum that we, yeah, we I move get back into that. and forth, you know, through grief, you know, not only being able to surpass acceptance, but I found gifts beyond. I found what God has put me on this planet to do. And that's really to help other people and ultimately to glorify his name. And I found also that really at this point, I'm fearless. Like nothing scares me anymore. Like the worst possible thing that could possibly happen to me has happened. There's nothing that I'm facing. There is no storm that comes my way that scares me anymore because I know that I've, again, not made it through, but you know, I am on the other side of that storm right now. And that I know that if I can get through something like that, I can get through anything. Yeah. I'll definitely want to jump back into the gifts and grief and what that means to you and how that's taken shape in your life. But I'd love if you could discuss a little bit about the grief continuum. I, I'd love to hit on that as well. Yeah. Like we said earlier, that I saw the, the five stages of grief, right? And for me, that my, my grief pattern didn't go that way. And my belief is that we don't experience grief the same way we experience school. You know, we don't navigate grief the same way we navigate school. We don't all start at the same place, graduate through the same stages to eventually arrive at the same destination. Rather that when tragedy occurs, you land somewhere on the continuum. And for some, that could be denial or anger or bargaining or depression. For me, it was fear and it was feelings of worthlessness and feelings of revenge and that we ultimately move back and forth. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Through grief, yes, there will be a time I ultimately did reach acceptance. But I also, as I mentioned earlier, found 
you know, found gifts beyond acceptance. There was that moment when my son spoke to me, when I finally felt that subtle bit of optimism, you know, just on the other side of acceptance was that subtle optimism, which then led me to curiosity and forgiveness. And now a sense of purpose that I really couldn't otherwise possibly imagined. So not only can we reach acceptance, we can find gifts beyond acceptance. There is more than just acceptance if you're willing to look for them. And then also, once you're there, like the other night, my wife and I were watching a movie with Mark Wahlberg. I don't remember the, the exact name, and he lost his child, and you know, tears were rolling down my face. That even though you've maybe reached a place of acceptance, you could still hear a song or find the reminder of the one that you love and find yourself in tears, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. You know, we move back and forth through grief. We don't go through stages and reach a final ending. There's this constant back and forth. And if that happens, that you're not doing it wrong. Yeah, I, I love that because I definitely think a lot of people have their perception of how you're supposed to grieve or what's right and wrong. And I couldn't agree more that there's absolutely no right or wrong way to grieve and that you know, you can hold multiple emotions at once. You could feel immense happiness at the same time as feeling tremendous sadness and, you know, in one setting and that's okay. Yeah. It's especially true for men. You know, I found it's especially true for men because I'm 50 years old. So I was basically brainwashed and I feel like a lot of, a lot of us are today that real men don't cry. Right? <laughs> We're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to share emotions with each other. We're not supposed to go seek therapy. We're supposed to just tough it out and suck it up. And the thing is, that doesn't work with grief because you can't outrun it. You can't hide from grief. You, you can't outsmart it. The analogy I like to use is, is almost like holding a beach ball underwater. Now, you could do it and you could do it for a while, but eventually it's going to find its way out and hit and come to the surface. Yeah. And the further and harder you push it down, the faster and harder it's going to come up. And sometimes it hits you right in the face and you're going to have to deal with it at some point. Do you think that the messaging or the perception of you got to be a man, do you think that that's changing at all? Or do you think that that's still a pretty consistent narrative? I think it is changing. I think it is changing. Finally, I think it is starting to shift a little bit that more men realize. I mean, even you know, just watch watch any championship, right, of any sports. You, like often, you see the guys crying on the field, and that's happened for years and years. Like the emotion just comes up, right? Yeah. But I could tell you I, the one thing I would say to any man or woman, really, that's listening to this podcast that that if you're trying to push down the grief, if you're trying to hide from it, it's going to catch up to you. And the only way. The only way that I was truly able to begin to heal from immense amounts of pain was to stop running from the grief, to stop running from it, to acknowledge that this is what's happened, to stop running from it, and to even sit in it and just realize, okay, this is what's happened. It's okay for me to cry. It's okay for me to punch something. It's okay for me to get all the emotions out. And over time, and it's been six and a half years now, almost seven years. Over time, I started to become connected to the memories and the reminders as opposed to running from them all the time and trying to push them away. In fact, this year, this past year would have been my son's 21st birthday. And I remarried about four years ago to an amazing woman. And every year she'd ask me, you know, on the milestone days, what do you want to do today? You know, what do you want to do on Perry's birthday? Or what do you want to do on the day that, you know, he went missing? And I really knew that she was asking me, like, can I spend that day with you? You know, how, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? I'd always kind of just push her away and I'd go and I'd go sit on the coast by myself and 
just cry my eyes out and talk to Perry. But this year, I tried something different. She and I went to a local restaurant and we toasted Perry. We both lifted our glass and toasted him. And I started crying and she started crying. And she did what I think people should really do when they're trying to help somebody grieve or go through a grieving process. And that's don't try to fix it. You know, don't try to make it better. There are no words that you can say. There are no things that you can do. Just be there. Just mm. be there for that person and cry with them and let them share, you know, memories together. And I realized when I came home that, man, I'd been doing myself a great disservice, really, both for her and I. Because now, you know, like when those movies would come on, I would kind of turn my head and wipe my tears, you know, so that she wouldn't see me crying. I didn't want her to I've see me there. crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but it's in the crying, it's in the letting it out and in the talking about it that the healing comes. So any person out there that if there's somebody who loves you and that trust that you trust, that is wanting to spend those days with you, try something new and let them in and see what happens. Yeah, that's beautiful. Grief is just so uncomfortable. I mean, even as someone who lost both of my parents, like I like what you said, you have a PhD in experience, but you know, as someone who's <laughs> lived through it, it's still uncomfortable, especially tragic loss is just so uncomfortable. And it is difficult. People try to find the right words, but you're right. There are no right words. There's no words at all that can fix the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, people mean well, right? I'm sure this probably happened to you. I mean, I've had people say things like, he's in a better place or things like, Phil, you know what you need to do? You need to come out and have some beers with us. No, no, no. That's not what I need to do <laughs> right now. And even something as benign as how are you, you know, especially in those first few months, like how are you? How do you think I am? Like, you know, I don't want to say I'm like, I'm in a world of hurt and I don't want to say I'm fine. So, you know, people ask me like all the time for some reason, like friends and family will text me that and say like, my girlfriend's father just passed away. Like, what do I say? What do you say? And after a lot of thought, you know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think the best thing somebody can say to somebody who's grieving is something like this. I am so sorry for your loss. I know that there are no words. Just know that I love you and that I'm here for you for whatever you need. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. It's in our nature to want to cheer people up, right? And make them better and try to fix it. But you can't do that. A hundred percent. What do you think of, I'm so sorry. You know, it's something that while I think it's completely appropriate, obviously, I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. it's like on the other end, you're expected to say, oh, thank you so much or something like that. You know, and it's something that I still say to people, if you know someone's lost yeah. someone or something like that, very similar to exactly what you just said. And I say, I'm so mm -hmm. sorry, but sometimes in my own head, I'm like, you get an influx of people coming up to you saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you're like, right. are you it's okay. right? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But you have to say something, yeah, 100%. I think, you know, because that's the thing. I have family members that, that I don't want to argue with them. You know, one in particular that still has never said anything, nothing, no acknowledgement of the situation. So, you know, if, if you don't know what to say, you can at least say, you know, I'm sorry that that happened to Perry. I'm really sorry that, that you had to go through that. Saying nothing is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. I agree with everything you've said. <laughs> so I want to discuss this idea of gifts and grief. You know, it's something that you've brought up a few times. It's something that you make mention yeah. of in, in your TED Talk. Yeah. It's an interesting topic, especially as it relates to grief, because I think some people who have experienced significant loss don't want anything. They don't want to look at silver linings. Yep. 
I'm personally not a believer of things like all things happen for a reason. I definitely don't believe that personally. Even if their experience or their loss has set their life on a different trajectory and they're having some tremendous impact in the world, maybe they still don't want to view it as a gift because they don't want to associate the worst thing in their life as something that now has had some positive impact. So I am curious to discuss a little bit what you exactly mean by grief can hold these gifts. Sure. Maybe a story can illustrate this. There is a an old Chinese tale about a woman who lost her only son. And in her immense amount of grief, she went to some sage and said, you know, what magical potions, what magical incantations do you have to remove this pain? And he said to her, I want you to go and find a home that has found no sorrow. And from that home, bring me a mustard seed, a magical mustard seed from a home that has never known sorrow. So immediately she went on her way and the first place she found was a mansion. She knocked on the door and said, you know, I'm begging you, I need to find a mustard seed from a home that has never known sorrow. Is this such a place? And immediately they said to her, you're in the wrong place. We've had much sorrow in this house and here's what's happened to us. And she thought to herself, well, who's better to help these people than I who've experienced similar sorrow? So she stayed with them for a while and helped them and then went on to the next place. And no matter where she looked, she could never find a home that had not known any sorrow. But after years of looking for that magical mustard seed, she forgot all about it because she got so enveloped in helping other people. And I feel like I'm on a similar path that through the sharing of my story and sharing of what happened to me, I have been able to help a lot of people just by talking to them about it, sharing them what I've been through. And in that sharing and in that helping, has brought me a sense of purpose that I really never imagined. And don't get me wrong, I would want my son back and trade this all backwards for in, in a heartbeat. But you know, this is the situation that's happened. And through it, I found my purpose in life, that this is what I'm built for. I never knew that I was this good. You know, I don't even want to say that. I don't mean to sound, you know, I don't mean to sound conceited or whatever, but I feel like God's given me a gift to, to be able to help people through the grieving process. And man, I'll tell you, I've owned my own business. I've owned a couple of them. I've been VP of sales for a global technology company. And I say that just to say that I've made money in my career, but nothing compares to somebody coming up to you and holding your hand and crying with you and saying, thank you so much. You've really helped me. You've helped me move forward and getting letters and emails. I mean, that to me is worth way more than money. Like what you're doing with this podcast, you're helping people no doubt that there's got to be somebody out there that's heard something from one of your guests that have made them think about something differently, have made them see something in a different way that has helped them to move forward. And there is no greater reward than that. Yeah, 100, 100%. How do you think people can have that self-awareness or recognize this gift that you have through your own grief? How do people recognize, learn that without having to live through their own significant loss or tragedy is it possible? Like, you know, if someone's listening to this and hasn't lived through some significant grief, but they're trying to figure out how do I build a life of significance? How do I build a life of purpose? Yes, I would tell you two things. One, it's not going to be something that's just going to be shown to you. In most cases, there are people that are just, you know, they're born to be like a pianist, right? Or they were born to be a singer or whatever it might be, and they knew their purpose. But most of us have no idea what that is. So number one, you have to keep your eye out for it. And what you look for are things like, what do other people tell you? Man, like, you're really good at that. And to you, it's like, ah, whatever. You know, it's no big deal. Like you think about that, it's like no big deal. Anybody can do that. So whatever that is, if there's something like that for you, likely your gift and purpose is in there somewhere. 
Secondly, I would tell you is that we're always most powerfully positioned to serve the person we once were. So who were you five years ago? Where were you? What have you learned? Maybe it was 10 years ago. You've been through something. You've learned how to do something. What is that? And how can you teach that to other people? For me, unfortunately, you know, it was the loss of my own son. So I am most powerfully positioned to serve the person that I once was. I know what that is. Like I know what that went through and the steps that I had to take to get myself out of it. And a lot of it is getting up and taking that first step and then the next and the next. And eventually you will see the pieces of your life come back together, but you've got to get up and take that first step. If you're not, you know, I would tell you, Dan, there's about 10% of the people that I come in contact will say something like you just said. Phil, I don't care what you got to say. I don't care you know, what stories you might have. I don't care if you have a program. There's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to make me happy. My life is over. I've lost the most important person in my life and that's it. My, like, I might as well just die. Well, in that case, you might be right you know, because that is a choice. That is your choice to feel that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And my question is always, would that person that you're grieving want you to say that? Would that person want you to live that way? 99.9% of the cases, they say no. So, you know, yes, it's hard, but you have to face that storm. Love that. What inspires you to keep going on the days when you're especially sad, hurting, or down on yourself? My relationship with God. I'm not sure if you consider yourself a religious person or if this is you know that kind of podcast, but I'm not going to deny that God has gotten me through a lot of this and my relationship with him and knowing that through him, I'm able to help other people and also point people towards God and ultimately glorify God, which is kind of crazy, right? Because one of the things I wrestled with with my faith was that as a Christian, you know, I, I would say, God, like you're God. The words that you chose to tell the world how much you love the world. I mean, it could have been anything, right? He could have chose any words. The words that he chose was, I gave you my only son. That's how much I love the world. And, and you took mine. You know, and so I went through this wrestling with God moment. And through that, he showed me the love that he has for me and the plan that he has for me. And the fact is, man, this life is temporary. This life is temporary. You know, I know my son is in heaven and, and I know I'm going to see him again one day. And I'm, I know I'm on God's path for my life. Honestly, I'm happier than I've ever been. You know, again, I don't want people to think, you know, I'm glad that my son is gone. No way. I would trade anything to, to hear his laugh again, to hug him again, to hold him and play with him and all the things that we used to do. I would give anything for that. But that's not going to happen. So I, I have to make a choice, right? It's my choice whether to move on and do what God's telling me to do or to live in a state of despair. Mm. We could start to wrap up this episode. The Bits of Gold podcast is all about building a life you love. And I'm curious, you know, through your, your perspective, how you can build a life you love on a daily basis. Building a life that you love on a daily basis, I think, is number one, for me, requires that connection with your maker. Because if you wake up, if you wake up and you talk to God and you ask him, what is it, God, that you want me to do today? He will show you. He will show you. And once you start to go on that path, you don't see the end. You don't see the end. And even biblically, like I don't even know where I'm going to go with this, Dan. I really don't. I don't know 
what the end looks like for me. But even biblically, there are so many stories where God will say, go stand on this corner. And when you get there, I'll tell you what to do next. You know, and that's kind of like the, the path that I'm on. I'm just going to the corner and I'm standing there waiting for him to tell me to, what to do next. But as you do that, in that journey, you realize that for me, I've realized that God is real. Everything he's telling me to do and that I'm doing, he's showing me that it's true and that, that the path that he's telling me to do by giving me the proof that I'm doing the right thing. So I think, you know, a life of purpose is being connected to your maker and then asking him, what is it, God, that you, I believe we're all put on this planet to do something, something specific. You know, we all have our own talents. And if you could figure out what that is, and it's always going to be something that's going to help other people and to glorify God. And if you could figure out what that is for you, you will be on a life of purpose. Love it. Where can people find you, connect with you? Yeah. So- I have a website, Phil Cohen, P-H-I-L-C-O-H-E-N.com is my website, you know, on LinkedIn. Um, and really that's about it. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge social media guy, but if there's anybody out there that just wants to have a conversation, I don't charge for this. You know, it's just in my heart to talk to people that are hurting. And if there's any way I can help you, please, please reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Dan. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, subscribe, leave a review, and make sure to tune back in the following Monday where we drop an all-new interview to help you continue to build your dream life. Enjoy your week. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.